Pastor Mike this morning. We could just do some more music. I was enjoying that. <laughs> that was great stuff. I'm going to borrow that chair. There's stool there. Thank you. We are uh, studying together in the book of Colossians. We've been looking at this idea that me plus Jesus equal complete. Uh, we've been adding some equations to this. We've been set, looking at it and it says me plus Jesus equals my mission. And then uh, some guys in my growth group this week said uh, us plus Jesus equal church. So it's, uh, it, it, we're, we're kind of catching what Paul's trying to teach us here about where completeness comes from, where fullness comes from. Now I want to remind you that the reason this letter is written is because the Christians in Colossae were under attack. Uh, there, are, there were some super apostles, some false ap- teachers, false apostles who had come and uh, who had said that it couldn't possibly be so simple that uh, it, it would be all about just faith in Jesus Christ. That, would, uh, that there could be no way that his righteousness uh, to your account would be enough. And so they had come trying to teach uh, what they called a greater knowledge. Um, you know, they wanted to put forth something they said was very hidden and secret and, and only they could teach. And then they uh, wanted to put forth uh, a whole structure and set of rules and philosophy that uh, without which you could not connect to God. And so it was deceiving the people in the church. And so Paul is writing to overcome this deception. And the section that we, are, we have come to is really one of his, uh, I would say one of his powerful sections about uh, uh, summing up or conclusions from what he said thus far. Anytime you see the word therefore, he's beginning to sum up what he has said in the earlier verses. So we're going to read this together, and then we're going we're to unpack it a bit together. So I like it when you read out loud with me. So let's read God's word together. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And if you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities 
and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This past week, um, I don't know if you remember, but there was a day where there was rain and there was wind and, and all kinds of uh, fun happened. Well, at my house, uh, a, a small tree, not a huge tree, but a small tree uprooted and came crashing down towards my house. And as it came, fortunately, there was a hemlock tree that broke its fall, and so it didn't you know, break through the roof or any of those kind of things. But in my, in my, on my garage right now, there's a tree leaning, having fallen. So I went and looked at the tree. And uh, one of the things that I noticed about this tree is even though it was fairly tall, it had very shallow roots. So I guess the combination of a wet ground and a strong wind and this somewhat healthy-looking tree was immediately cast down and became dangerous to me, to my house, to my car. I just missed my car and just missed the house. And when I looked at that, I said, that's, that's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying, you know, there are a lot of people who look good but have shallow roots. And the first wind that comes or the, the ground gets a little loose and gets a little too saturated or whatever it is, and because they have such shallow roots, then a trial comes or, or a deception comes or a temptation comes. And instead of being able to be settled and firmly rooted, those shallow roots cause the, the weight of the tree to come crashing down. And it's dangerous not only to yourself, but to your family, to your friends, to your community. And so Paul is saying that when we are deceived, we're not rooted we're not grounded. Now, let me, let me give you some more descriptors of this because I want, you to, I want you to understand this really fully. There are a lot of people around the faith. There are a lot of people who settle for something less than the deep roots. What they choose is they say, well, this Christianity, this faith thing sounds good to me. And so they... They recognize the truth of it, or they recognize the value of it, or the validity even of it, perhaps. And in recognizing it, they begin to think, well, that makes me a Christian. That makes me a follower of Christ, because I recognize that this is true. The truth is, just to recognize something is to have very shallow roots in it. It is not to be settled in it. It is not grounded So that when something comes to deceive you and all you've done is intellectually or or sort of in a a very superficial way assented, okay, I believe in God. Okay, I believe in Jesus. Okay, I I believe in the Bible. And you just have this sort of superficial assent. You say, well, I agree with it. I don't disagree with it. And and it can look like, because you start to live sort of a moral life, or you start to live a sort of, you know, a better life than you lived before, and you're starting to think, well, this tree's growing. Looks pretty good. Looks like it's getting taller. But Paul's saying, but the root problem stays. Because it's not about intellectual assent. It's not about you saying, well, I agree with this. It's really about that truth possessing you. It's about you beginning to say, This is what I trust. This is what I depend on. 
This is not just something I recognize. It's not just something in the periphery of my life. It's not something I do on Sunday. It starts to creep into and, 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 and seep into every part of your being so that the roots go deep. And what Paul's saying, there will always be tests of your roots. They can be physical tests where you have a health issue, or it can be financial tests where suddenly you don't have enough money, or it can just be that things don't go the way you want them to go, and it's always a test of the roots. And what you see with so many people who say, well, you know, I'm a Christian, but they, they have no roots. As soon as something else comes along, they fall for it. Many of us, we despise how many trials there are in, in your life. We despise how many storms. We despise how when you think you got it all together, it all falls apart. And yet... This Holy Spirit knows that unless the roots go deep, you will be satisfied with surface things. And when you're satisfied with surface things, what happens is then something will come along. And the enemy is very good at this. He has watched you your whole life. He's watched your family for all generations. And he knows what the pattern of deception that your family falls for. He's watched you. He doesn't tempt you with things that don't tempt you. He tempts you with the things that tempt you at your weakest moment. You know, if you don't believe me in that, just think about this. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. What did Satan say to him? Turn the stones into bread. <laughs> that was a relatively important need at that moment if you hadn't eaten for 40 days. So you understand, he knows how to gear... Everything in your life to those moments of the greatest weakness. Because, see, he really doesn't believe you're going to be rooted and grounded in Christ. Now, the second, are you tracking with me on this? The second thing on this is, he says, as you received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. Again, what some people do, it's not just the issue that they have nothing more than recognition and assent and some sort of intellectual or superficial agreement with Christianity, but rather uh, there are some people who begin to try to make themselves into Christians. And they say, they say okay, what do I do? What do you want me to do? You know, what, what does God want from me? What does God want me to do? And, and so they immediately start running off trying to prove themselves to be Christians doing all kinds of works and activities and all kinds of things because they, again, are not rooted in his love, so they're trying to prove they're worthy of his love. So all kinds of craziness comes out of this. When my family, uh, when I was a teenager, I was a high school student, my family got very serious about following the Lord. My, my dad, my mom, they really wanted to follow the Lord, but... They had no idea what that meant, so they thought, we just got to do stuff. We got to do stuff. So they, they, the, this one pastor who was a nut at our church, and uh, they went to him, and he said, okay, here's, here's what you got to do. You got to become strict Sabbatarians. None of you even know what that means. Thank God. Uh, but see, here's, he, he was... He was this really like rule-oriented guy, this, this behavior-oriented guy. And he told my parents, on Sundays, you can't eat out. 
on Sundays. You've got to make your food on Saturday so you can eat on Sunday. Uh, you can't have any recreation, and you can't take naps. Okay? I'm not kidding you. Okay? This is a practice that goes back to the Puritans back in the 17th century. All right? So they said you have to take Sunday seriously. You have to listen to preaching all day long. I could do that for you if you want. You know, you're mean. That's on live stream. I'm going to come back to that. <laughs> so here's what happened. This is hilarious. So my father makes all of us stop. We can't, we're kids. We can't play at all. We have to sit in the living room with cassette tapes of sermons all Sunday afternoon. So we would borrow them from the church library. We had like five, six, they were an hour each. So five, six hours of sermon. You know what would happen? My father would hit the play button and immediately fall asleep. <laughs> so he took a nap anyway. <laughs> but I couldn't sleep. I listened to every single one of them because I, got, I, I heard from my pastor. I heard from my parents. This is what you have to do to be a Christian. You know what it did? Because I listened to six hours of sermons every Sunday. I said, I'm much a better Christian than any of you are. I'm much more spiritual than any of you are. You see, as soon as you go into performing to get God's approval, you suddenly realize you compare favorably to other people. And all it does is, again, you're deceived and you start getting your pride up. And instead of really understanding grace, now you're living out of law. And though I may favorably compare to someone else, I do not favorably compare to perfection. And that's the only standard that counts when you're in law. The Bible says if you've broken one commandment, you've broken them all. So what I find, what I find so often with people is that immediately wanting to do and want to be doers, what happens is, again, the roots are very shallow. And what Paul is saying here when he says, as you received Christ Jesus, how did you receive him? You received him by faith. You received him by trusting in him. You received him by knowing him, by knowing his love for you. You received him, and he says, in the same way you received him, that's the only way you can walk in him. You cannot walk as a Christian. You cannot flourish as a Christian unless your faith is growing in who Christ is and in what Christ has done for you. If you'll notice something in this passage that we had written today, or that we had read today, is that we're, about, we're almost two-thirds of the way through the letter, and yet he has not said anything about what you should do. There's not a single command that's been given. There's not a single like, imperative, you must do this. Why is that except that the most important thing is that you and I know the incomparable Christ who Paul is revealing to us. That see, you can't have deep roots unless your faith is based on who Christ really, really is. I, li I like this. One of my favorite theologians said it this way. He said, without understanding what has been done for us, Christianity uh, or even uh, experiencing the fullness and the the fullness of what God has done in Christ for us, then Christianity becomes just another religion where God's grace is nothing more than a reward for what we have done. 
Um, I've often gone to religious services for the dead. And uh, it's fascinating when you have a religious service for the dead in a, in a setting where grace is not understood or where grace is believed to have been experienced through a religious ritual. Can you understand with me that if grace is received through a ritual, then the ritual itself is a work, which therefore nullifies that it's grace? The enemy didn't like that one. You see... When you say that something is received by works, it ceases to be grace. And now it's law. And it doesn't matter if it's a new law. It doesn't matter if it's a certain church's law. Once it's law, then now it's all law. (laughs) A friend of mine in Costa Rica, when we were living in Costa Rica, had a brand new Apple computer. It was the early Macintosh. Those things, didn't they cost like $3,500 or... And he's in Costa Rica, so he's scared to death that somebody's going to steal it. So he goes to the hardware store, and he gets the biggest chain you could possibly find. And, uh, and he puts it around his gate. Because when I was living there, the gate of our apartment was left open. And while I was sleeping, someone came into our apartment and took my boom box. You know, yes, I had a boom box. Uh, it was an off-brand boombox, so I wasn't really that concerned. But the f- fact that someone was in my bedroom while I was in my bedroom taking stuff from me was very scary. So this guy heard about that, and he thought, I got this, I got this amazing Macintosh. And so, so every day he would put the big chain on, and he'd come out in the morning, and somebody had cut his chain. So he got a bigger one, and they cut that one, and a bigger one, and he cut that one. And it was so interesting to me. See, in a sense, if, if you keep trying to make it about what you do, you're just getting a bigger chain that just keeps getting cut. And let's say you decide, well, you know, I'm a Christian because I got baptized. Well, that's like a paper link in the chain. Because now that chain just rips apart because baptism is not in any way giving you worth or value. Baptism is merely a symbol of what Christ has done for you. You see what he says here? He says, there's a circumcision of the heart. And that's the only circumcision that actually makes you able to connect to God in a meaningful way. And then he says, there's a baptism where you've actually been buried into the death of Christ. And now you've also been raised into the resurrection life of Christ. Now, See, we do the things Christ has asked us to do. We have the Lord's table. But we do it for remembrance. We don't do it to re-crucify him. We have an empty cross, not a cross that's still filled. He's not still hurting. He hurt once for all time. His sacrifice is sufficient. See, what I'm sharing with you, hopefully you're catching it, and, and that is... What Paul is saying here is there's only one way to get deep roots and to get settled into your relationship with Jesus, and that is for you to realize it's all about faith. 
And when you don't have faith, it doesn't matter what the other things that you're doing are. Because they're not going to merit his love. They're not going to make you worthy of his love. They're not going to make you deserving of his favor. His favor is freely given to those who recognize they cannot deserve it. His grace is activated by people who realize they're bankrupt. As long as you keep thinking you can do something to make him love you, you have never understood him. As long as you think there's something you can perform, something you can do, some sacrifice you can make, some whatever you can do that will make you worthy of his love, then you will never know his love. You only begin to know his love in the same way that we come into relationship with Jesus and we stay in relationship with Jesus is every single day you're recognizing it's all grace all the time. It's all faith all the time. And you hold on to that and you say, look, the thing in my life that's most important is that I keep growing in my faith. And again, it's not faith and faith. There are a lot of people who have faith and faith. They'll say, I have faith. And I'm like, in what? In nonsense. In stupid things. In yourself. Nobody's let you down more than you. Why would you have faith in you? And if some people say to me, well, faith is really difficult. I'm like, no, it isn't. You live by faith every single day. You've sat in that chair by faith. You believed the chair was trustworthy. Some of you jumped on the chair because you're so tired. I'm falling on the chair. You absolutely had saving faith in your chair. See, when you realize that Jesus is more real than the chair, that what he's done for you is more real than the chair, then you'll sit in him and you'll rest in him and you'll settle into him and the wind can blow and the rain can come. And, and the days that, like we sang about, where the nights are way too long, you're still sitting in that chair. Yeah. Settled, rooted. Thank you. But the problem is so many people never settle in. They never get rooted. Are you tracking with me on this? Yes. So here are some of the signs that Paul gives of deviations from Christ. See, there are things in life that are incredibly attractive. Sometimes they seem more attractive than Jesus. Jesus seems like often the hard way, not the easy way. He himself said it was the narrow way, not the broad way. Attractive things come, and they have drawing power, but what we don't realize is we get caught up in those things, and they actually take us captive. Um, I, could, I mean, we could just start with addictive things. We could start with so many different things, but I... I'm 58 years old. The first time I ever saw a pornographic magazine, I was probably 11 or 12. I was riding my bike. We were riding through a trail in the wood, and there was this one sprawled out right by the woods. Let's see, how many years ago is that? That's 46 years ago. I can still see it in my head. And it still affects me. You understand, there are attractive things, but what do they do? They take you captive. There are people that... Take one hit of cocaine and they're hooked. There are some of us that if we have one drink, we'll, we can't just drink for enjoyment. We have to drink to get drunk. 
There are some of us, and I find myself to be, to be one of those, that I have to be incredibly careful with painkillers. Because when they get in, they take us captive. And I'm just, those are the big things. I mean, you, can, you, could, you could talk about adultery, you could talk about affairs, you could talk about cheesecake. I mean, it, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just about anything that you begin to say, this is my life. And so many of us, so maybe I'm alone in this, but my parents never prepared me for how to handle money. And I remember my first credit card. I'm like, wow, I got this much money. And then I realized, oh, you got to pay it back. Still paying it back <laughs> 50 years later. <laughs> you know, it's just amazing the stuff, right? Do you, you see what Paul is saying? He's saying there are things that are geared to take you captive. And they'll unroot you. And they'll unsettle you, uproot you and unsettle you. You know, the way that you understand something that will deviate you from Christ is it offers so much, but it leaves you so empty. And then Paul wants you to understand something. God does not give man-made regulations. God does not empower them. God does not value them. And when somebody says, you got to do this, and it's there, you got to do this, it's not from God. The things that God wants you to do in your life are always for his glory, but also for your good. And that's what you always look at. When somebody puts forth a regulation for you to follow, and they say, God wants you to do this, and it's not from the scripture, and it's not from God's heart for you. When somebody does that, what they're doing is actually diminishing the glory of God. And they're lifting up the will of a human. For years of my life, I prayed, give me more willpower. And he always said no. And I was always like, you mean God, you? Why don't you give me more willpower? I want to overcome this. I want to stop this. I want to be able to do this. I want to be more disciplined, all of this kind of stuff. I want you to give me more willpower. He said no. Because he won't share his glory with you. Because you can't handle it, and I can't handle it. And so what he wanted me to do was pray this, and when I prayed this, it started changing. He wanted me to yield my will. He wanted me to surrender my will. See, when you get man-made regulations, they are very appealing to your will. And they're almost always fit to whatever culture or whatever family orientation you come from. It's always things that you do and others don't do. I went to this uh, Christmas pageant at a legalistic church. It was a four-hour Christmas pageant that started with the birth of Christ and ended at the great white throne of judgment with God the Father and God the Son in a, in a courtroom judging people. And uh, I, I wanted out of there so badly, but anybody with long hair and blue jeans went to hell. If they were listening to rock music on a Walkman, you can tell how long ago this was, but, but if they were listening to rock music on a Walkman, they went to hell. And anybody with khaki jeans and button-down shirts and, and short hair if they were guys, went to heaven. Any girls with dresses and, you know, very demure and looked like they had no sex appeal whatsoever went to he- heaven. Oh, 
which all the women in that church fit. So uh, just seeing if you're awake. So I got so furious at this, at this heresy that I got up to leave. They had the biggest men in their church blocking the doors. So you couldn't get out unless you punched one of them. Which I was a pastor of another church down the street from them, so I couldn't punch them and get away with it. So I had to sit there while they gave three altar calls to come to Jesus. But it wasn't Jesus. It was a man-made regulation. It was a man-made thing. So if coming to Jesus means you put away your blue jeans, you put away your rock music, coming to Jesus means you cut your hair or you start wearing dresses instead of pants or whatever it might be, that's not coming to Jesus. That brings no glory to Jesus. That's man-made regulations that deviate you from Jesus. This is what Paul... Paul's trying to get at, at things that were true in the day of the Colossians, but he's also trying to get you and I to realize nothing has changed. It is so hard, in a way, to keep it simple. All about Jesus. See, the real issue isn't, do you wear this? Do you eat this? Do you drink that? That's not the real issue. The real issue is this. Are you moving closer to Jesus? Are you moving farther away from him? See, people can keep the rules and be far away from Jesus. And there are people who look like they're not keeping the rules who are running to Jesus because they realize, I have no other hope, no other life but Jesus. And our job is not to judge. Our job is not to put up a fence and say, you're in, you're out. Our job is to say, here's Jesus. And for us to have so experienced him and so encountered him that he's so real to us that what we're we're spilling out of our lives is not more rules and regulations, but more Jesus. (laughs) I mean, all of us get confused. All of us get a need sometimes to say, what do you want from me, Lord? That's, that's not a bad thing. But what Paul is saying is you always go back to centering yourself on the truth. I belong to Christ. Christ belongs to me. This Christ who belongs to me is the incomparable Christ. He's the fullness of God. He's the image of the invisible God. He is all the love of God. He is all the peace of God. He's all the power of God. And he is not just with me. He is in me. He doesn't just, he doesn't just hope I'm going to do better. He delights in me. He knew what he was getting into when he got into relationship with me. And you begin to realize a faith arises in you, not because... You have a great faith, but because you have a great Savior. You might start with just a P-shaped faith. But it will grow into and blossom into a giant tree. It may just be a seed, but it will grow into a giant tree. Not because of you, but because of Him. Because you start going, oh, He's fairer than the fairest of 10,000. So... Here are some discerning questions from the passage. If somebody's telling you something about your spiritual life, you have to ask a question, or or about your life in general. Does does what they're telling me have substance? 
Is it transformative? Will it, will it change my, my circumstances? Will it change my life? Is it rooted in the word of God? Does it set my eyes on the glory of Jesus so that I trust him more? Some of you are like me. You grew up with uh, Godspell. And there was a song, Day by Day. Do any of you remember that song? It's actually a prayer from the 13th century by Richard of Chichester. And this is the prayer that he prayed. Thanks be to thee, my Lord Jesus Christ, for all the benefits thou hast given me, for all the pains and insults thou hast borne for me. O most merciful Redeemer, friend and brother, may I know thee more clearly, love thee more dearly, and follow thee more nearly, day by day. It became a song, what was that, the 70s or 80s or whatever? But it's actually from the 13th century. Isn't it beautiful? Would you like to read it out loud with me? Let's do it together. Thanks be to thee, my Lord Jesus Christ, for all the benefits thou hast given me, for all the pains and insults thou hast borne for me. O most merciful Redeemer, friend and brother, may I know thee more clearly, love thee more dearly, and follow thee more nearly day by day. Amen. <laughs> Alan added a bit to that. Isn't that powerful? It's very simple though, right? Let me ask you this. Does it express your heart? If it expresses your heart, that's what Paul is saying. As you receive Christ Jesus, so walk in him. This, this walk that we're doing is difficult. Winds come, storms come up, trials come up. But knowing this and, and saying, I want to see thee more clearly, love thee more dearly, follow thee more nearly, the roots go deep. So the question I really have this morning for you is, do you really seek this kind of fullness? Or are you settling for, for something less? Because in a sense, if you settle for... For the lesser, you'll, you'll never know there was greater. <laughs> you, know, you know, I didn't grow up in New York. I grew up in Mississippi and Louisiana. And they had this stuff they called pizza. Now I've eaten pizza. <laughs> right? I mean, I want to go kick Pizza Hut, Papa John's, and Domino's off the face of the earth because that's like bread with some kind of ketchup on it. Once you have the real stuff, right? Aren't you angry that you ate all the second best? I mean, my mom used to make New York-style cheesecake from Jello, <laughs> And we thought, wow, this is great, because we didn't have any other cheesecake to compare it to. So we're thinking, yeah, if somebody comes to me from New York and says, have you ever had New York cheesecake? Yeah, Jello makes it. You know, it's right there in the box. And then you come and you actually have cheesecake, right? And you're like, Mom, I want to slap you upside the head for feeding me this stuff. Because this was not the real thing, you know? I'm, I'm being dramatic for a purpose. You understand, you don't know what the greater tastes like if you settle for the lesser and never give the greater a try. And there are so many people that they've, they've settled for rules and regulations or they've gone to legalistic churches or they, they've given themselves over to tradition or whatever it is, and they're like, this is, you know, I'll settle for this. And what Paul says, you never have to settle for anything less than fullness. I mean, I, 
I love it that many of you come every single Sunday because every single Sunday what we're doing here is we're going after fullness. We're saying there's more. We're saying we're not, sat- we're not satisfied with Jell-O brand cheesecake. You know? I mean, maybe if we're starving, we'll eat Pizza Hut. But, uh, you know, but, but we're going to go, but we're going to have real New York pizza because we know what it is. Okay, and you know the difference, and when you eat it, you go, ah, eh. when it's not the real thing, and when you eat the real thing, you start to make sounds that are embarrassing, you know? <laughs> well, that's what Paul's talking about here. Some people have settled for a copy. They've settled for a counterfeit. I see it all the time with people who just go through the motions. They don't realize the hunger in their heart is for the real thing, and so they've settled for the lesser thing because it's easier. Or because somebody told them it was enough. Let me tell you, it's not enough until you feel complete. This is one of those places where you get in Christ, you get to eat your fill, and then it makes you hungry for more. You get to to experience the depth, and then you get to see it's even deeper. And that's what Paul is talking about here. And so there's a fullness in Christ. I love verse 3 of chapter 2 where he says, Christ in whom all are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. (laughs) One of my favorite stories of, of unsettling. Uh, my dad bought a brand new car in 1964. You can tell how old I am. But uh, in 1964, I bought a brand new car. His first new car ever. It was a Ford Falcon, if any of you know that. It was kind of like Ford's early small car. My dad was so proud of that car. But listen, it had no radio. It didn't even have a heater. So we lived in Louisiana. You didn't need heat very often. But when you, there was no heater in the car whatsoever. So you had the stripped-down First brand new car, drives it for a week, something goes wrong with it. So the dealership says, bring it back in. They, he brings it in. They give him a Galaxy 500 to drive. It had AM, FM, stereo, which was unusual in those days. It had air conditioning and Baton Rouge humidity. It had like leather seats, those big bench seats. All seven of us could f- sleep there <laughs> on that thing. All of this stuff, and, and here's my father driving this Galaxy 500 for a week, and they call him and say, your car is fixed. <laughs> my dad never got to enjoy his new car again because he had driven such a, an amazing car, and so it was so bittersweet. And in life, I don't know if that's ever, that kind of thing has ever happened to you where you finally get what you want and you realize there was something better. And you find, oh, I got this job. And you realize, oh, it's not the job I thought it was or whatever it might be. See, in a way, that's how Satan wants to destroy your life, is to keep you chasing after things that when you get them, you're immediately discontent with it and unhappy with it. And what Paul is talking about here is that as you give yourself to Christ, you will never get discontent because he will ever and always be opening up new views of who he is to you and also opening you up 
so that you can receive more and more of what he's done for you. Um, we're coming to the, to the close, but I, I, I want to share with you three things that Christ did for you that are right here in this passage. And what Paul says here is that what Christ has done for you and what he wants you to experience is the fullness of life. But Paul makes it clear that that fullness of life will not be experienced without fellowship with Jesus. And that fellowship has to be day by day. It has to be each day, see thee more clearly, love thee more dearly, follow thee more nearly. Like if you just do it on Sundays, you'll never have fullness of life. Or if you just do it every now and then when you feel religious, you'll not have fullness of life. It's a fascinating thing to watch that people who go through catastrophes realize in the trauma they have to pray, they need to pray, but because they have not day by day prayed, they don't know how to pray in the big moments. See, what happens is if day by day you're fellowshipping with God and you're fellowshipping with Christ and you're being loved on by the Holy Spirit, if day by day you're listening to his voice and you're reading his word and you're allowing yourself to be cleansed and bathed in Christ and his love for you, then when the big things come, you'll be ready because you'll be settled. You'll be rooted. He won't, Satan will not be able to take away your peace by circumstances because your peace is deep in the ground. See, as long as it's just on the surface, then all you have to do is have a good wind. The second thing and the reason why you can have this fellowship with Jesus is that you have forgiveness. This is the awesome thing in this passage. Do you know what happened on the cross? There's a record, a record before you ever sinned, there was a record of your sin. And what Paul said is Jesus receive that record, the written record that's against you. Everything that sometimes you hear the enemy saying, you did this, you did that, you're not worthy of God's love. Who could love you? you if they even knew you, they would not love you. Every single thing that would create a division between you and God and make you unworthy of his love, everything Paul said has been written down and it was nailed to the tree and now it is set aside. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> you, do you know how many people pay thousands and thousands of dollars just because they need forgiveness, either in medication or treatments? And what is being offered here to you is such a real, a real forgiveness because everything you've ever done was written down. And then it was nailed to the cross and it was set aside. Come on, that's good. And when you weren't even knowing it, because you said, Jesus, I want you in my life, when you weren't even knowing it, he snuck in and he circumcised your heart so that you could have a heart that connects to his heart. You, you understand? Physical circumcision doesn't make you closer to God. Heart circumcision makes you close to God. Physical baptism is a wonderful sign, but what Paul says 
is that in his forgiveness of you and in his, all his work for you, he baptized you himself. He buried you with him in his death and then he raised you with him in his resurrection. And then the last one. So, can you remember this? Life comes from fellowship with Jesus. Life comes for, from forgiveness. But life also comes from freedom. It says he disarmed all of the enemies against you. And he made a public spectacle of them. So life comes through freedom. Will you stand with me? I feel like I'm in a funeral home right now. Can you hear me today? You understand? I mean, if you're listening to me, and let's say you think you're the worst person in this room. What this verse says is that you have a way to life that a religious person will never have. That the person in this room most counting on their religion, their morality, will never know fullness. Because there's only one way to walk in Christ, and that's the same way we receive Christ, and that's by faith. And see, you must, you must understand something. Religion is organized rule-keeping wow. with organized score-keeping. Oh and this that Paul is saying here is all relationship. Wow. It's all relationship. I have life through fellowship. I have life through forgiveness. And I have life through freedom. Do you mind saying that with me? I, I kind of like those three together, right? Will you say it with me? I have life through fellowship with Jesus. I have life through forgiveness. And I have life through freedom. Would you, would you close your eyes for just a second? You know some of your sins. Would you recognize that they were written down? And that before you were even born, they were nailed to the tree. Can you not see how much he loves you? That before you were even born, before you even made those bad choices, before you even depended on yourself and were rebellious against God, God was nailing those offenses to the tree. And Paul said, and they were set aside. Gosh, isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Would you make a commitment today to walk in faith in the one who set aside all the written condemnation, all the written charges against you, who took on himself everything you deserve so that now you can receive everything he deserves? There's fullness for you if you're willing. In Jesus' name, amen. Now get out of here. Ha, <laughs> ha,